I had a dream that I was a postage stamp. A prostitute that works at the corner of 54th and 3rd in Manhattan bought me. She drew a rabbit on the back of a matchbook cover for one of those art competitions. She put the matchbook in an envelope, then licked me and put me in the corner. She won and became a famous artist. You're welcome. Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from my palatial estate in the south of France Overlooking a beautiful sunset on the Mediterranean Because stamp collecting makes you rich beyond your wildest dreams this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 253, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. And this is Mark. This is Stan. And this is Dawn. Long lost Dawn. <laughs> Back. What have I missed? Everything. <laughs> My move to the south of France. My move to the south of France. Can you see the beautiful background? No, it's my house. (laughs) Never mind. So there was an article written, and the title is Postmodern Why Millennials Have Fallen in Love with Stamp Collecting. True. Find out. With my son. (laughs) Hold on. What's a millennial? What are the age range of a millennial? They're the generation between Generation X and Generation Z. And I think we're all Gen X, aren't we? I'm, I'm, I know I am. I'm borderline I'm boomer. Cash is I'm a boomer. Boomer. I'm a boomer. It's boomer. <laughs> it says a person reaching young adulthood in the early 21st century. What the hell does that mean? Adulthood's 18, right? By most any math. Oh, here we go. 1981 to 1996. So basically 40. Yeah, between 20 and 40. That counts me out. That's a big gap. Yeah, that is. Well, Gen, Gen X is between 65 and 81 or 80. Pretty big gap too. 
are happening. Flatily <laughs> is gaining popularity with younger hobbyists who are drawn to its vintage and Instagram appeal. There's that word vintage again. Love the Instagram appeal. And the article is by Nicole Mowbray at The Guardian in Britain. Once a byword for boring, but it seems stamp collecting is finding a new young audience, despite the fact that some hobbyists have never actually posted a letter. I can, <laughs> I can verify that. My my son's 25, and every time he goes to mail a letter or a, or a bill, he has to ask me where where does the stamp go? Where does the address go? Yeah. Sean does the same thing. He goes, where do I put the stamp? It's like upper right-hand corner, and then he puts it somewhere else. On the back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, about to, I'm about to teach my uh, eight-year-old how to mail. My grandfather sent her a, uh, a blanket, and uh, I'm going to have her send him a thank you card rather than a phone call. Excellent. She's like, how do I seal the envelope? Stick, baby. I hear a lot of cell phones in the background. Not it. <laughs> Not me. It's Stan. I'm muted. I was muted, <laughs> so it can't be me. <laughs> Not me. I'm the only one here. Took the kids out for lunch. Yay! But I am making sure that it is turned off. Too. Gaining popularity among millennials, many of whom see the creative pursuit as an escape from their screen-based lives, says 37-year-old Suzanne Ray from North Yorkshire. Finally, is tangible. It's relaxing and unplugged. It's also very Instagrammable, says Ray. That can't be a real word. Who is the only second female chairman of the Philadelphia Trader Society? Only second female who is, chairman. Who is only the? Sorry, I put backwards. Not only is tangible, it's relaxing and unplugged. It's also very Instagrammable, says Ray, who is only the second female chairman the Philatelic Trader Society has had in its 91 year history. Twitter and Instagram enable young collectors to find people like them and see that it's not only a geeky old man's pursuit. Actually, I see that too. I'm not, I don't go on Twitter. But I go on Facebook, and there are a lot of stamp collecting um, groups. Uh, what do you call it? Well, there's stamp collecting groups, but and Stan, I mean, that's yeah, that's where uh, I first saw you is uh, on one of the Facebook um, posts. I forget what you were talking about. You were talking about I think Washington Franklin heads, but and how much he despises them, and how and that's what we talked about <laughs> last week. Yes, I still despise them, although I have been working on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of people posting stuff on Facebook, talking about, the, you know what uh, we, they talk about a lot is the new issues. And the new issue that just came out for the Harlem Voices, which is yes, I saw kind of unanimously getting panned for being kind of ugly, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, 
It's a great way to quote unquote meet people digitally. It is, and I, you know, I've connected with the APS on their Facebook group, and one of the posts I saw today was about um, somebody looking to write astronomy in Sputnik One, looking for Sputnik Ones on stamps, and um, put some pictures up of various stamps from around the world for that. So, you know, yeah, it's it's Facebookable and Instagrammable. Um, and that fits right in line with all the millennials who love the screen. Yep. All right. Which one of you is going to be the first philatelic Instagram influencer? <laughs> I vote for Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I vote for Cad. Oh no! I'm not no. even on Instagram. I'm not even on Instagram. I'm going to collect stamps in my bathtub of Cheerios. <laughs> well, Ray gave up her job as a management consultant two years ago to make her hobby her business by starting an online stamp shop, Art Stamped. One of the first stamp businesses using social media, she says. Maybe true in well, Britain. I, but I'm not I, I would say there. that's. I would say that's probably true in the sense that she's using it the way. It's meant to be used. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of older folks don't. Uh, they, they say they know how to use it, but they really don't. Well, a lot. If you remember back, eBay had chat rooms and stuff like that for whatever you were talking about, and there was a very active stamp chat room that I don't think anybody goes to anymore. But it, there is a lot of social media related to anything you pick a topic there's somebody who's talking about it on social media and people who are making podcasts about it with that author because uh ebay was essentially the first social media um back in 1995-1996 and i started selling on ebay in 1996 back when it was still called auction web so I think I beat her out of, of the, uh, you know, in in, uh, in being one of the first on social media. Well, you beat me. I, I got on eBay in 1997. I thought I was, I, I was within the first six months of the start of eBay. I was 99. I think I was probably around 99 as well. I haven't checked, but. sell on ebay so well you used to some stuff yeah but i don't know when i i don't know when i joined i couldn't tell you yeah i i don't sell enough stuff to have that memory i haven't been a continuous ebay seller nicholas shaliner halford business manager at stamp auctioneer harbors of london believes that part of the millennial boom is the result of romantic notions of pre-digital life for generation y collecting and stamp collecting is escape as, is escapism with a nostalgic slant, giving collectors a physical link with the past. Oh, that's why I collect. Absolutely why I collect. I collect for the history of some of the stamps. Um, from, you know, you can look at the history of like Germany through from World War One 
through World War II, and you can see everything that happened to the country through their stamps. And it does give you a historic and nostalgic slant. Um, well, well, there are people who, I, I know a lot of collectors, obviously, so do all of you, but uh, you have the people who want to complete the set, but they still want to know, you know, the history behind it. Me, I'm not so much a completist in, you know, except for Scott's number five, I am complete. So I don't really care to shell out the money to get the one variety that I'm missing. But I absolutely love the time period of 1851. I, I did another podcast on it, which I've plugged several times, so I won't uh, plug it again here because I don't want to mention uh, relics of history on iTunes or Apple uh, because, uh, you know, we've done that before. But I love the stories behind it. I love what's going on and what's represented. I mean, we get the actual documents. We get the letters of what these people are saying. I did a stamp this morning that was a um, number 35 on a folded letter sheet from San Francisco to New York. And it had a little thing on the top said via Panama. I'm like, wow, it's like pre-Panama Canal. Yep. Yep. From 1860, from San Francisco down to Panama, across, and then back up to New York. Yeah, it saved like, uh, what What did it save, Scott? Like three weeks? Something like there, that. Yeah, letter cut there three weeks faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, went through the uh, malaria-infested swamps. They wanted to get through the swamps really fast. Oh, yeah. Good thing it was only a short distance. It just you know, seems... That's, that's a good topic for a future uh, podcast is, you know, the, the through Pana, Panama, noisy carriers and all that stuff. It's a very interesting uh, thing that, you know, you'll, you're we're talking about old timey technology. You know, they didn't put the mail on a truck and ship it to California. They put it on a boat. Shipped it to Panama and then walked it across and then shipped it, put it on another boat. And then shipped it to New York. It's hard to believe that going straight across the country was that much slower than going all the way down to Panama and all the way back up. Until about 1867 and the Transcontinental Railroad, it took about two weeks to get across the country or three to get across the country, if not longer. Yep. I mean, people think that, you know, trains were really fast. Trains... Trains were pretty slow back then. I mean, they'd go, you know, 20 miles an hour, maybe 30 miles an hour, and they would stop at night. It wasn't like a round-the-clock thing. Back to our article. Sadie Medhurst, a 31-year-old fan, agrees. Stamp collecting is presumed to be a solitary endeavor reserved for older members of society. But this could not be further from the truth. Each stamp tells a story. I often think of the many thing, the many hands they have passed through. This is what I constantly talk to uh, show promoters about is stamp shows are great for selling stamps and that's where you get your money from. But you have to have the social aspect because you have to have the people go to the stamp show. You have to give them a reason to go there because you're kind of competing with eBay and stuff. So 
if you are going to a stamp show to spend 50 bucks or 20 bucks or some small amount, you need to have some sort of social aspect to get you in your car and go over there. And the successful stamp shows, and I'm talking about like the APS shows and Westpex is famous for this, have a lot of social aspect to it. And the ones that don't are kind of dying right now. If you don't have a social, social aspect to your show, your show is in trouble. Well, I think one of the things with small shows is that they have a smaller draw area for their population. And those people tend to meet on a more regular basis. Whereas when you have a national level show, people come in and they travel and they get to see people they don't see every day or every week. And so that also stimulates the social aspect of a hobby. If you have a bigger show, more dealers, more out-of-state traffic, um, that, that can help the success of a show. But every single show could be that. I mean, yeah, but if you I have, compare, if I you compare have four dealers and a local show or bourse, and you draw from an area of, say, 40 or 50 miles around, you're not going to get any big national dealers because the number of collectors isn't there to support it. I mean, it, it takes a lot, some investment capital to, to launch a larger show. Well, but yes, let's make pretend that you have four dealers. <clears throat> and let's make pretend also we go out online that those four dealers are paying enough for their tables to pay for the show. So the show isn't running in the red. Drawing more people to the show for a social aspect, like if you had lectures, if you had, I mean, PSE, we volunteer all the time to do expertizing. We do expertizing, bring your stamps in, you know, we'll, we'll look at them for absolutely free, no charge whatsoever, come on down, and it draws people. Well, the more people you draw, then you get a fifth dealer, and you get a sixth dealer, and then you get 10 dealers, and then they get a bigger place. I think that if you have the social aspect to it, you will get more people because you're getting not only the people who want to buy stamps, you're also, and more importantly, getting the people who want to socialize and hang out. Um, to a point, I think that's probably true. Um, I know when I started collecting, it was a very solitary type of endeavor. And it was a way to shut out the world, not a way to draw people in my yes. circle. I, I totally agree. Stamp collecting is great to sit there and play with things while you're watching TV or whatever. But people, by their nature, enjoy meeting other people and sharing stories. So, But not everybody. I mean, as far as that goes... A majority of them probably do, though. It's I mean, my life is extremely outgoing. And, you know, I'm happy to sit in my office and not talk to anybody for three days. Yeah. I'm in that club. <laughs> yeah, but, but, Scott, you are not the normal stamp collector either. Well, that's because I've pushed myself to not be the normal stamp collector. Right, exactly. So... I well, or Tom, I, here's my opinion of what normal is. Okay, and you guys can shoot it down after I say it. Normal is you want to play with something. 
And then, and then you also want to have a social life of some sort. I think that's normal. Well, I, I think the word normal shouldn't apply. I, I think it's more like uh, typical is, okay. is the word you're looking for, not normal. Okay, fair enough. Well, Arapex was the last major stamp show before the COVID-19 crisis. And the draw that they had was uh, Beethoven ex exhibition. Do you think that was effective? I think it was. <clears throat> I think that Arapex gets a social aspect to it in any case. It's one of the best shows. It's like got this these areas where people can c collect together, talk about stuff. It's it's designed well. It's laid out well, as opposed to, and I'll give you a not as good show. Is um, let me think of. Uh, okay, it's a. I'm not going to mention the show or the show because I don't want to insult them. It's in an area where all they have is dealers. They don't have a place to sit. They actually don't serve food there either. And they have an upstairs where they do the exhibits. But nobody really goes upstairs because it's so detached from well, the rest a of lot the of, A lot of large shows actually do that. They put the exhibits in a different room or a different area than the Bourse. And I think that's such a – so – Foolish. It is because the people who go there for the exhibits see the exhibits and everybody else just goes to buy stamps and they, it's just not, it's out of sight, out of mind, really. Never the two shall meet. Yeah. And the exhibits are not necessarily to show stuff. The exhibits are to give an area where you can show and talk about things. Most of the time, I, you know, there are, you will look at the exhibits and you'll see one person looking at all the exhibits. But most of the time, you see little gatherings of people walking around looking at stuff. Well, what you need to, what you need to do is you need to widen the rows between your Bourse booths and put, the, put a row of exhibits down the middle. Like they did at uh, Orco Expo. Steve Patillo did that. Yeah. <clears throat> Which Orco Expo is another good show. And he has lots of area. He has lots of people meeting, talking. You know, there are people who go there and sit with the people and talk for five hours and don't spend a dime. But he has a successful show because he gets the people. And if that person does find something, then he buys it. So, you know, the, I hate it when, and there are shows like this, they look at it and they just say, we are here for the dealers and nothing else. We don't care about anything but the dealers. And I think that is just a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, way to approach a stamp show. There are other ones who say we are here only for the exhibitors or the exhibitors are the main thing. I think that's terrible too. You should be concentrating on the person who walks in through the front door who goes there. Why are they coming to your show? should be for the collector because if they're not for the collector there are no dealers or exhibitors well i won't say that because you'll, you'll still <laughs> have you'll still have exhibitors but you won't have anyone to come see them yeah well it's like when me and don went to um rocky mountain uh in Den the denver yeah denver uh what was the name of the show though rocket 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 
Rompex. Very, very nice. Uh, they had all the dealers. And then along the front wall, they had the uh, societies. And along the back wall, they had the, uh, they have a, um, li a library, a nonprofit. And you had all sorts of people meeting in both areas, a huge amount of people. I mean, really remarkable how many people were back there. And then they were also at the dealers and stuff, but you had these society booths that just had tons of people at them. And then you had the Rocky Mountain uh, Philatelic Library at the back. They just had a ton of people. That I, I, I was so impressed when I went there. I mean, they're doing this show well. I think Charpex in Charlotte is one of the better shows in the country. That's um, Charlotte Philatelic Society, which I'm a member of. We have on the first Sunday of every month about 50 to 60 collectors show up, which is unheard of for stamp clubs these days. That is a really, really good attendance, yes. And two weeks ago, we had a Sunday stamp club meeting on WebEx, and we're talking folks 70 and above, and we had 30 people join that WebEx meeting to talk stamps. Um, Charpex in Charlotte has 20 dealers and um, I think 50 frames of exhibits. So it's, an, it's a nice show. Um, and major nationwide dealers come to Charlotte. And that's my plug. Shameless, shameless plug. Well, Ray's love of stamp collecting was instilled in her as a child thanks to her grandparents. I grew up in Edinburgh where there was and is a stamp shop just around the corner, Ray says. I started off buying British stamps with my pocket money. As I traveled for work, I built up a Ghanaian Gold Coast collection. More recently, though, I just collect what I like. Stamps that tell stories or are graphically appealing. Oh, we hit cash right there. Yeah. Stamps that tell stories. Yep. Is that like the chicken stamp from 1948? Oh, that see, that's that's the thing. I love that stamp because it has such a great story in the fact that there is no story to it. It is a totally political. It's an incredible story about a stamp that has no story. The poultry industry stamp. Yeah, for a non-existent centennial of a basically a non-existent industry. You know, there it was it was. I could do a whole podcast on just the chicken stamp. Or the jiclet that goes with it? Yeah, or the jiclet. <laughs> we, we haven't used that Talk word in a while. Play. No. <laughs> you got to send Stan a picture of that if he hasn't seen it, because it's actually real. Yes, it is. I have not. I have not. That goes way back. Yeah, that was on episode 100 myself, you know, except you for last four. Kaz, you should post a picture of that for Facebook. <laughs> that I will do. I'll go upstairs and take a picture of it. The Viking chicken giclee. Yep. Yep. Where is it? <laughs> it's over by your door. Is it? I th I thought it was. I thought we. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> I walk past it every day. <laughs> you don't even notice. I feel so I feel so let down. <laughs> okay, this is going on Facebook. This feeling is echoed by 29-year-old Constanz Dennis, a senior auctioneer at 
Grosvenor Philatelic Auctions in London, who says stamp collecting ties together many elements she loves. I have a scientific background, so the analytical side really appeals. She says, my personal philatelic interest is crash mail, envelope salvage from plane crashes. Definitely morbid, but equally fascinating. See, that's me, the analytical side. That's what I like. I like the morbid side. <laughs> that's Mark's new foray. He's going to start collecting crash mail. Well, actually, Sean. People on stamps. Sean is 13 years old. He collects morning covers. That's cool, too. He also, but he also collects uh, railroad perfins on cover, and he's making his exhibit. He's got four pages of it done already. And, and they're double, they're double pages. So you know that's how he's done half a frame so far. Wow. See, I don't have this. I don't have the scientific background, but I like the science behind it. So I think that's one of the reasons I like doing the expertizing work. The research and discovery and you know finding the crazy things people have done and continue to do to stamps oh yeah one of the highlights of the stamp collector's calendar is the stampex show held at the business design center in illington north london every autumn there are lots of younger people there says ray it's not a it's not fuddy-duddy it's engaging can spend a lot of money, but it's a hobby you can enjoy inexpensively too. I was actually going to go this year. Until the, the COVID, until the COVID nineteen. Well, I, I, I think I just bought too many stamps last year and <laughs> couldn't afford it anymore. Well, actually, all of us were going to go to Westpac, and then Westpac uh, canceled. Well, I'm sorry, all of us. I'm Stan. I'm not. I spoke for you. I shouldn't have. Stan, were you going to go to Westpac by any chance? No, I was. I'm going to go to the Great American Stamp Show in Hartford. Um, I was planning to go to Chicago Pex, but that got rained out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go to Charpex and Nate. I was Napex in DC were the were the big four that I was going to be going to this year. I don't. I was cutting Napex for my schedule this year because, uh, frank, frankly, when you fly in, it's a pain in the butt because uh, you got your choice of three airports, two of which are about a half an hour away, and the other one's an hour drive away, and uh, so it's just a pain in the butt. You either gotta pay for expensive cabs or whatever from the airport, or you gotta rent a car. See, I love driving to stamp shows, and I will drive, you know, 15 hours to get to a stamp show. And Don, you know, Don comes with me. <laughs> You'll walk to one. I would, uh, I, and I would, I love it. I, I love driving while I'm driving. I'm listening to podcasts usually and stuff. I don't go, I haven't been to anything west of the Mississippi River, though. Or excuse me, east of the Mississippi River. Oh, excuse me. I lied. I went to uh, Grand Rapids. Yeah, not west, but that's not west of the. That's not east of the Mississippi River. Oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it's not. Yeah, but I drove. I drove to Grand Rapids, and that was a fun drive. And I took my kids with me. Did you go the northern route or the southern route? 
I went, we went the northern route there and the southern route back. And a shout out to Fred Boatwright. Uh, we went to, on the way back, we stopped in Missouri and hung out with him for a day. And it was very, very fun to ride both directions. Very nice. From the outside looking in, stamp collecting makes no sense, says 34-year-old collector James Lee, who also works as a at a stamp dealer, John Curtin Limited. Why are people spending sometimes vast amounts of money on little bits of paper that look almost identical? But I find them utterly fascinating and I don't care who knows it. They are fascinating. I mean, the color varieties, the perf varieties, the, oh, you name it, varieties. I mean, all different things. What's violet? What's purple? Well, I remember the first time I did a large purchase of U.S. number 11s, and it was two stock sheets of them. And I showed them to my mother. And she said, oh, they're all the same stamp. And I go, no, they're not. They're all different plates. They're all different positions. And there's a huge range of co co colors to them. There's a huge range of colors to them. And uh, I could tell that I was not selling her on stamp collecting. And I think that's the last time I shared anything with her. But yeah, it is. It's as, it's as in-depth or as easy as you want to make it. And that's what I like about it. Um, I can leave my my job as a you know as a software developer and the analytics behind figuring out how to do something with a computer to relaxing with the stamps. And that's for me. That's the best part of being a stamp collector. That and the history behind them. Stamp collecting is so much more than a hobby, says Medhurst. It's a lifestyle, a community, and perhaps the perfect solve for these constrained times, or these quarantine times is <laughs> now. Oh, yeah. I, I, I guess some of us have really made it more our lifestyle. <laughs> well, if we get paid for it, yeah, you, we kind of do. But I mean, me and you, yes, we run a stamp business, quote unquote business. We don't sell stamps, but in addition to that, we do sell stamps because you know we sell stuff on ebay but in addition to that we do stuff like this i mean when i went to i'll bet you my last three stamp shows that i went to i probably didn't break like three or four hundred dollars and but i go there for the fun of it i go to talk to people and just like learn about stamps and stuff I know that my stamp budget the last month has been um, broken about four times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think PSE even got a little bit of my money. Oh, well, thank you for the contribution to the cause. Sometimes sometimes that, uh, that certificate is necessary when you find something out in the wild and you got to convince everybody else that it is what it is because it's a very a tricky thing to identify sometimes speaking uh, about speaking about certificates stan you joined this the uh podcast for 10 bucks and you got your certificate of membership and you posted it on facebook i was very impressed with that 
Yes, hold on. I think I've got it here. <laughs> a very <laughs> professional. Yeah, I'm jealous. He's got a wireless headset. He just rolled all the way across the office there. <laughs> there it is. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. One certificate. Yeah. Paid $10. And being that the check cleared. <laughs> That's the major uh, requirement for joining the podcast is the check has to actually clear. Well, that's a good thing. I'm glad it did. Yeah, but read the benefits. Ah, uh, be it known that the certificate suitable for framing and hanging in a place of honor, showing membership in the stamp show here today club may entitle the member to possible discounts in what could be thousands of wholesale and retail establishments throughout the world. Furthermore, being a member to the Stamp Show Here Today Club entitles the bearer of the certificate to listen to the free podcast with that certain air of superiority that only comes with the knowledge that you are helping to preserve this fine media enterprise. For more information, contact CAJ at Stamp Show Here Today. <laughs> you have to mention the certificate in order to get the discounts. I, I hear case. that yeah, if you go to Starbucks and tell them you're a member, they will charge you full price, but you get the free little swirly straws for free. You get the free straws for free. Nice. Except in California. <laughs> Except in California. Void <laughs> <Yeah>, war prohibited. <laughs> or otherwise restricted by law. Mm -hmm. We were talking about uh, social media usage. Um, I've been getting emails from the APS, and anybody who's a member probably has been getting them also. Um, they're doing, like, Web WebEx meetings. And I don't know if it's WebEx or not, but they're doing, uh, like, uh, video chat town halls every week or two. I think it's every two weeks on, like, a Friday evening or something like that. There are um, every day, Scott. Is it every I day? Went I went to a, I went to a, a chat Monday at 3 p.m. with Gary Lowe. Um, on May 5th, I am giving a presentation on one of their stamp chats of the grandfather I never knew. Um, and then Scott English is comes on May 5th. He's also doing a town hall at 7 o'clock, I believe. So once every two weeks, he's coming and given information and updates on what's happening at the APS. So so the APS is actually moving to uh, to a digital video conference where you can actually chat with other people that may be very far away at this time or the APS staff or both. And uh, um, so they're really stepping up their digital presence as well. Yeah, hold on, Tom. <clears throat> you said daily they're doing this? Yes, they're doing it daily, and it's called Stamp Chats. And um, and it's just like us on WebEx? It's just like us on WebEx, except it's Zoom meetings, and very easy. They have anywhere from 30 to 50 people. Scott English's town hall last Friday drew 100 people and filled up their room, and that's all they could handle. So it has been huge. And every Sunday, I meet with the group from the Facebook Virtual Stamp Club, 
and we just have a little stamp chat, kind of like what we're doing here. Send me the info on that, please. <clears throat> I will. Cool. Well, we have officially finished the article, so I don't know if we're officially finishing the show too. Let's go ahead and finish it. You've been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 253. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. Yeah, this was Mark. This was Stan. And this was Don. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Yeah! <laughs> it's hard to send up. It's hard to send up. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close.